0: Title of our lesson this morning is "What Did He Leave Behind," and I'll ask you another question as we get ready to uh, give consideration to that title this morning. What did he leave behind? Have you ever thought about what you will leave behind when this when this life is over? I think a lot of times we all kind of think about, well, uh, what will I leave behind when I pass from this life, or Uh, how will people uh, remember me or how do I want to be remembered uh, whenever I have uh, passed from this life? Well, it's been said that a lot of times you can tell what was important in a person's life by what they leave behind. And when you think of Jesus, it's kind of eye-opening. When you think about what he didn't leave behind (laughs) because he didn't leave behind a wife he didn't leave behind any kids and he didn't leave behind a house or a bank account or life insurance or real estate or any of those kinds of things those are the kinds of things that a lot of times we think about whenever we think about well, what did, what did a person leave behind? But what Jesus did is he left something that was much more enduring than any of those kinds of things. Because what Jesus left behind, and this is where we're really going to kind of focus this morning, is he left behind his people and he left behind his message. Everything that we think about, oftentimes, about what a person left behind, whether we think about a house or cars or money or real estate, all those kind of things. All those things eventually fade away. But what Jesus left behind is going to endure. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, in about verse 35, he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. And in Matthew the 16th chapter, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So, as we give consideration to that, and we think about what Jesus left behind, there's four things that we're going to take a look at this morning as we give consideration to what did Jesus leave behind when he left this world. In John, the 16th chapter, I want to read that once again. I'll read verse 33 this time and then just skip down to verse 36. John 16 at verse 33. Did I get that right? Yeah. John 16. That's not right. Scratch that. <laughs> John 13. <laughs> I've been saying John 16. I thought that does right. John 13. See if this sounds a little better little children i am with you a little while longer you will seek me and as i said to the jews now i also say to you where i am going you cannot come verse 36 simon peter said to him lord where you are where are you going jesus answered where i go you cannot follow me now but you will follow later For three years they had followed Him. And now John 13th chapter is talking about that last night that when they're together and Jesus says, I'm going away and you can't follow Me. They had followed Him for three years and now He says, you can't follow Me. And so Peter's asking, where are you going that I can't follow? Well, Jesus said, you'll you'll follow later. In Matthew the 16th chapter about verse 18 Jesus had told them and this was just about a year earlier that upon this rock I will build my church. Now think about that. Three years they followed him. About a year earlier, he had said to them, after Peter had confessed that he was the Christ, he says, upon this rock I will build my church. And they must have been thinking, he's going to build his following, my people. And in Matthew the 19th chapter, on that particular occasion, Peter had said to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. So can you kind of see their mindset? For three years we've been following you. We've left everything to follow you. A year ago you told us that upon this rock you would build your church and now you're telling us you're leaving and we can't follow you. And so Peter says, where are you going? That we can't follow And so what Jesus was saying and what they understood was clearly two different things. They didn't really grasp what Jesus was saying at that time. But in a short while, within about 50 days, they're going to come to understand what he's talking about. Because of what's going to transpire in that next 50 days. And so what Jesus was saying is I'm leaving but I'm leaving something behind. You can't come now. They didn't fully grasp that but later they would come to understand. I'm leaving. You can't follow now. And what I'm leaving behind is you and what they needed to understand and would come to understand. This wasn't a change in plans. This was the plan. What they needed to come to understand is what was the plan that God had in mind all along. And what was it that Jesus was saying to them? I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll read verses 10 and 11. This is speaking in regards to the church. Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 10. It says, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this is in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul just said was God had a plan. And God had a plan from eternity. And he said now through the church, by looking at the church, you can come to a better understanding of what God's plan was from throughout eternity. See, that's the part that was missing in their understanding when Jesus says, I'm going away and you can't come now. What do you mean by that? I want to go with you. No, I need to leave you here because you don't understand it yet. You're the church. And upon that rock that you said that I was the Christ, I will build my church. The truth of that is what is going to build my church and I'm leaving you behind because you will be the church. I I want to kind of explain something right here. They didn't get all the details yet. But God had a plan. Now, have we or have we not (laughs) been talking for quite some time about the big picture? And read big before you read small. So what Jesus is saying is and what Paul is explaining is see God had a plan from eternity and when Jesus came and they started following him they were becoming a part of the big picture the big plan they just didn't fully understand it yet now, it's true. <laughs> I have tried to emphasize, and I want people to grasp the big picture, the big story that's contained in the Bible. But there's some times when you've got to read the fine print. <clears throat> and so what they didn't understand when Jesus says, I'm going away, and you will follow later, that's the fine print. <laughs> and see, they didn't understand the fine print yet. But in order to stand the big picture, then pretty soon you got to read the fine print. Let me give you this other illustration. This is in regards to lawyers. This is actually a positive comment in regards to lawyers. A lot of times, whenever lawyers are mentioned, they get a bad rap. (laughs) This is actually a positive. A guy was explaining kind of lawyer's role and occupation and so forth, and he said, it's like this. He said, it's like we've all been handed a box, and on the front, it says the game of life. And he said, we just take the lid off and we start to play the game of life. (laughs) He said, lawyers are the ones who've read the back of the box. (laughs) There's rules to this game. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth to that in this. See, there was a big picture and the Christ was supposed to come and they kind of understood that. They just didn't know the details. And so they need to read the fine print. This is where Jesus goes away. This is where you stay. And then you proclaim the message of who he is. And then that builds the church. And so they had to come to understand. It. Where do you fit into all this? What Jesus was saying in Matthew the 16th chapter upon this rock I will build my church he's saying I'm the builder this is my part see you're going to have a part and this is my part God had and I won't state numerous passages from the Old Testament mainly this one In Isaiah, the 28th chapter, in about verse 16, God had said through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone. And that stone (laughs) became the cornerstone. And what Isaiah was pointing to was the Christ. And he was that precious stone, that cornerstone that God was laying. And he says, it is a tested stone. Had Jesus ever been tested? He was tested when he gave up heaven And came to this earth and took on the form of humanity. He was tested when he was led away into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. He was tested all during his earthly ministry. And they were challenging him. He was tested in the garden. He was tested when he was arrested. He was tested when he stood before Pilate. He was tested when he was led away and he was crucified. And God says, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious stone. And Jesus says, upon this rock, Peter I will build my church. The big picture, God had this plan from eternity. But now, Peter, you've got to come to understand the fine print. You've got to understand how this all works out. And so, what Jesus was saying is you can't come now, but you can come later. And so, what he was leaving behind was his church. Secondly, though, he left behind his name. Sometimes, people will say in regards to somebody that uh, they they left behind, well, they left behind a good name. They left behind a good reputation. That was a good person. Well, in Acts, the fourth chapter, at about verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in, In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no name that we can think of that went before that's greater than the name of Jesus. There was no name greater during the time that He lived on this earth. There is no name that is now greater. There is no name that will ever be greater than that name. Because there's no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus means Savior. Jesus is the one by which we can be saved. There is no other name that we can point to and this be equal to that. And so Peter says, there's no other name. There's great. Philippians the second chapter. And about verse 9. It says for this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So God says, or it says that God exalted him, gave him that name. Now, why is it important? Well, various reasons, but why is one of the reasons why that's important. As you think about people you know, as you think about famous people that you know, have you ever met someone that is related to a famous person? You're you're related to so and so, and there's a certain court, a sort of honor that might go with that. I was just thinking here locally. Have you ever driven across and I think most of us have have you ever driven across the Kit Bond Bridge do you know where the Kit Bond Bridge is going right down 35 across the river and into downtown Kansas City that's Kit Bond Bridge have you ever been to Kemper Arena Associated with the Kempers from here. Have you ever been to Kaufman Stadium? Remember Ewing, <laughs> Muriel, the Royals? Have you ever driven on Tom Watson <coughs> Parkway, 64th Street? Famous golfer. And so, if you meet someone that's Related to these people. There's kind of a certain honor. That goes along. With that. Well God says. There's no other name. That is given among men. Whereby we may be saved. And he gave him a name. Which is exalted. Above all. Other names. And yet in Matthew 16 and verse 18 Jesus says upon this rock I will build my church These are my people and they wear his name Acts 11 chapter and verse 26 And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. These are the ones that associate with, that belong to, Jesus the Christ. He's the king. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the savior. And we wear his name. I associate, you associate with him. And just like a well-known relative might say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of my relatives. Jesus said, yeah, that's, that's one of mine. They wear my name. Yeah, that's one of mine. 1 Peter 4, and about verse 16. I want you to notice what Peter says there. 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So not only in the New Testament did they wear his name, it also says if we suffer, we're not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in that name. Back in the book of Philippians, I'll make a couple of comments in regards to all that in in, in just a moment. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14. He said, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is Paul. He's in prison. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. And he says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. What Paul said. Yeah, the disciples identified with Acts 11 and became called Christians. But Peter says sometimes as a Christian you're going to suffer for wearing that name. And Paul says in Philippians 1 my circumstances have turned out for the good. (laughs) And I rejoice in that. Isn't that what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4? If any man suffers as a Christian, and so Paul's saying, I rejoice in that. Why? Because it's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm locked up here. But you know what? While I'm locked up here, the whole praetorian guard has come to know about Christ. I have a chance to talk to these people. And other brethren have heard about this. And what's that done for them? Well, they're kind of emboldened by this. And now they speak on his behalf too. Now I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to try to be subtle. There is a certain name floating around within our society in our country now that if you happen to associate with, that could turn out (laughs) ugly for you. But just yesterday we're driving home and there's a flag on a flagpole. And my wife says, look at that. A lot of people don't want to fly that flag. Because that could bring some, you know, bad reactions. Now, I'm not trying to equate this person with Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to say that sometimes when you associate or you happen to identify, sometimes it's going to bring persecution. That's what Paul is saying. And Jesus left behind his name. And those who follow after him identify with, wear that name. And isn't it true that in this country now, you stand up and say you're a Christian in some circles, <laughs> that might bring a bad reaction. And Peter says, don't be ashamed but rather glorify God in that name. So they didn't wear that out of convenience or personal preference. They were honored to wear the name and what it stood for. I'm a Christian. So he left behind his name. Well, thirdly, he left behind a mission also. 1 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 14 and 15. 1 Timothy, chapter 3, at verse 14. Paul writing to Timothy says, I write these things, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know. How one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Paul says, I'm writing to to tell you, because it might be a while before I get there, that how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of God. The pillar and ground of the truth. Now sometimes when people pass from this world they may leave something behind. They might be behind a foundation or some kind of an organization and, and that they'll have a mission. This person died, passed on, set up this foundation, organization and this is what he wanted done in this world and, and so it might be it might be an education foundation. This is, this is to help people to get a higher education. Or this is a cancer foundation. This is to help people who suffer from that disease. Or it might be for children or any number of other things. But Paul writes to Timothy. And he says how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. what's the church standing for well they're standing for the truth now when we say that that's kind of a broad topic in it so we say well we stand for the truth well that's kind of like the big picture but what's the details of all that in 1st Timothy the 4th chapter in about verse 8 same book It says, For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since its holy promise for this present life and also for the life to come. So Paul says godliness. And that word godliness carries with it that idea of living a life which is pleasing to God. Belief, conduct, influence, a life of godliness. And what that's suggesting is, God's the one who gave it. And God's the one we'll have to give an account to for it. A life of godliness. This is what I left behind. So let me ask you. Is that the way you lived? Is that, is that what you believed? Is that the way you conducted yourself? Did you make my mission your mission? So, were you a part of his church? Did you wear it? His name. Did you support the truth? Well, you know, as we think about that kind of big picture kind of thing once again, you know, there's three big questions that come with life. How'd you get here? What are you doing here? And where are we going when this life's over? So how we got here, the truth is creation. In the beginning, God created. And see, there's a lot of folks in this world that don't want to hold up that truth. But the church is to hold that truth up. This is how we got here. And God expects something out of us and we'll give an account for this when this life is over. So what are we doing here? Well, were you a part of his church? Did you wear his name? Did you stand for the same things that he stood for? And where are we going? I want to read to you from Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. It said, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. He's the savior of the body. But to go along with this this thought, this question. So if he's the he's the savior of the body, then how do people become a part of that body? How do they become a part of that saved? Well once again, the church is to uphold the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. And that's that message. That's the gospel. That's the church's responsibility to uphold that truth. Because once again, there's a lot of people that don't want to uphold that truth. What about salvation? Well, what's it say about that? What about the church? Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't say I will build my church is. What about the organization of the church? Do we uphold the truth? Because there's a lot of folks that don't. Because there's all kinds of organizations out there when you look around religious bodies. And what about its work? See all those areas... We talk about the big picture but then at some point in time you got to read the fine print. <laughs> What's the fine print say about salvation? What's the fine print say about his church? What's the fine print say about the organization of that? What's the fine print say about that work? A lot of years ago when I first went to work for General Motors there used to be an older gentleman and I forget even how we met or how he came to know that I was a Christian, but I had not been a Christian for very long. And he used to come by and and he would stop and he always had this big smile. (laughs) And he'd say, Larry, what are you reading lately? (laughs) Because he'd always be wanting to know uh, if I'm reading the Bible. And I needed it back in those days, somebody to prod me along. Larry, what have you been studying lately? I remember on one occasion... We were talking about first Corinthians fifteen. And then comes the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom. And I remember he used to smile and say, Larry, he goes, I'm gonna be in that crowd. That's the group I'm gonna be in. And he would smile. You gotta ask yourself this question. How did he know? He was going to be in that crowd. Oh, Larry, I just just kind of feel like I will be. Oh, Larry, I just kind of think I will be. No, he used to tell me. And he was one of those guys that I learned from early on. Larry, you want to know if you're going to be in that crowd? Read this. See, that's what we got to do. There's a big picture, but there comes a time when you got to read the fighting print. And that's what he was showing me. Here's the fine print. That's why I smile when I say I'm going to be in that crowd." <laughs> Ephesians the fourth chapter, verses 15 through 16. "Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. That's chapter 5. That's a good one too. I wanted to read from chapter (laughs) 4. If you didn't catch that. We should be wise in regards to time because they can slip away from us. Verse 15, chapter 4. But speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now's the point I want to make. Not only we talk about the truth in regards to salvation, We talk about the truth in regards to edification. And that we are to build up one another. And whenever we're talking about edification, we're talking about spiritual edification so that we come to a greater understanding of that big picture and of those fine fine details, the fine print, and what our responsibilities are. Book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. It's another one of those. It's a fine print. Do we have a responsibility to teach about salvation? Yes, sir. Do we have a responsibility to encourage and build up one another in the most holy faith? Absolutely. Do we have a responsibility towards those who become weak or fall away? Absolutely. That's what he's saying. He left a mission. And so when we come to understand that we are the church and that's what he has left, then we have to read the fine print and say, okay, what's the responsibility of the church? Then, fourthly, he left behind his blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we studied the book of, uh, of Ephesians, and in that first chapter, it's mentioned over and over again, in Christ, in Him, And Paul says he's placed all spiritual blessings in Christ. So if there's a spiritual blessing that we are going to enjoy from God, it's going to be found and enjoyed in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, you have been made complete in Christ. Everything you need... Is found in Christ. God has supplied everything in Christ. Keep that in mind. I want to read to you from Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 22 and 23. It says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills. All in all. So as Paul writes, he says that the church is the fullness of Christ. All the needs, everything God has supplied us with, every need that He's met, has been fully supplied In Jesus Christ. Do we agree with that? But what Paul is trying to show is Christ and the church are inseparably connected. To be in Christ is to be in the church. You can't be in Christ and not be in His church. You can't be in the church and not be in Christ. Can we see that? Everything we need, everything God has supplied, He supplied that in Jesus Christ. But the church is the fullness of Christ. So what He is saying is that being in Christ is being in the church and that's where we enjoy all those blessings. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae. In Colossians 3, same book, verse 15. Paul says you've been called in one body. And in chapter 1, and verse 18, he says he's the head over the body, which is the church. So whatever blessings, they're going to be found in Christ. You're going to find those in the church. First Corinthians 12, when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. For by one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body. Galatians, the third chapter. For we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's everything that goes with it. And when Paul talked to the elders from Ephesus in Acts 20, he told them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So the church is the saved. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the church and of the body. And all blessings are in Christ and they are enjoyed in the church. What else, though, that very quickly as we kind of finish this up, what else did he leave behind? And certainly, this is not an exhaustive list of some of the things for us to give consideration to. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Peter says we've been born again to a living hope. And we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undiviled, reserved in heaven. And Peter says in this we greatly rejoice. So what Peter is saying is, is that inheritance that we have? It's not related to anything perishable or anything material or the material values of this world because everything that we might leave behind sooner or later is going to destroy or be destroyed or decay. You know, sometimes we might think, well, I hope somebody will leave me a car. <laughs> or I hope somebody will leave me a house. Or I hope somebody will leave me a bigger bank account. But you know what? After a period of time, those things sooner or later are going to vanish. And Peter says, our hope is imperishable. It's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. And what he's saying is, what we hope for, and hope means desire with expectation, That heaven won't ever grow old. And it won't ever decay. And we won't get there and say, well, I gave my life for this, but I was there for a little while and then it just kind of all fell apart. That's not the way it's going to happen. He says it's imperishable, undefiled. What he means by that is it doesn't grow less with use. You ever bought anything new? Maybe new suit, new shirt, new blouse, whatever it is. And you wear it. And then you wash it. And you wear it. And you wash it. And pretty soon it's like, this thing's looking kind of old. <laughs> and it's used up. And he's saying, that's not the way heaven is. It's not going to grow old with use. Have you ever gone someplace and you go there for the very first time and you look around and you go, wow, this place is really cool? And then after you're there for a while, you go, eh, I'm ready to go home. He says, heaven won't fade away. You won't get there and then after a while you go, oh, I'm kind of tired of this. Isn't that something? It'll never fade away. Peter says, we have a Living hope. Some translators suggest it should be understood as a hope that is living within us. And Peter says we're protected by the power of God through faith. In 2 Timothy, the 4th chapter, Paul knew that he was about to leave this life. And he said there was a crown of righteousness that was laid up for him, and not for him only, but for all those who love his appearing. And what he's suggesting is those who recognize how it is to become a part of his church, and those who recognize what it is to be a part of his church, and those who wear his name, and those who join with him in and are a part of his mission. Those are the ones who long for and love his appearance. Oh, I'm glad he's back. In first Corinthians the fifteenth chapter and about verse twenty four, and this is the passage that I made reference to earlier. And this is what Timothy used to talk about sometimes. Then comes the end, and he will deliver up the king. He's going to deliver up all rule, all authority, and his people. And Timothy used to say, that's the group I'm going to be. Well, those that are part of that are the ones who have bowed the knee in this life. Have recognized him to be the King in this life, and they become a part of his blood-bought church, and they wear his name, and they join in his mission. And in John the thirteenth chapter, in verse thirty-three, Jesus said, "I'm going away, and you can't follow me now, but you'll follow me later." That was the fine print, and they had to come to understand that that he was leaving behind. His church, his name, his mission, but his blessings also Matthew the twenty fourth chapter verse thirty five Jesus said, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words." And in Matthew sixteen and verse eighteen he said, "Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. See if we understand that. And if we understand the fine print that goes along with that and we serve him faithfully, then one day he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I shall make thee ruler over many. Enter into the joys of the Lord. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If we can help you in any way in making your relationship right with the Lord, please let us know while together we stand and while we sing.